like me, most people probably take the humble button of today totally for granted. It's there, it's always been there, it does its job, so why am I even talking about a button? Well, because there's something quite unique and exquisite called a dorset button that has a very specific history, for a button that is. Just try to imagine life without a button. It's scary really, but these small useful discs like a needle and thread have played and will continue to play an important role in our ever-garmented lives. Imagine the double-breasted suit, the elegant white shirt or the 1950s wedding gown without buttons. It's really the button, the cut and the tailoring of the fabric that make these garments so elegant and stylish. But the dorset button is really something very different indeed, something that remains handmade and meant to be decorative, not simply utilitarian. Yes, the ubiquitous button has evolved over the years, while the dorset button has lain somewhat dormant until an Edwardian-led revival, frustrated by the outbreak of uh, the Great War, with another attempted by the Women's Institute in England after the war, alas, both to little avail. Yet surprisingly, the beautiful dorset button has joined forces in recent times with the wooden-soled, clog-wearing traditional dancers of Northwest England, the Dorset Button Ladies Morris Side or Team, where in 1978 they began using dorset buttons to decorate their straw hats. And they look amazing. You see, embroidery never fails to give, to excite and offer endless pleasure. I even managed to find some images of the hats worn by the dorset button ladies Morris side covered with red and green dorset buttons of almost every size. What a wonderful spectacle and what a great way to promote dorset buttons and embroidery. I just love it. Perhaps we could start a new craze of covering delightfully traditional and very British straw boaters with multicoloured dorset buttons. Now that sounds like fun. Intriguingly though, Charles I was said to have gone to his execution wearing a waistcoat featuring dorset buttons. Although no attribution to any garment in existence can be found. Fact or fiction? No one quite knows. However, Queen Victoria did own a dress lavishly trimmed with dorset knobs. That we do know. All I can say is stay with me as I explore this delicate yet resourceful embroidered button that has managed to stay with us since the 1600s. The beautiful decorative dorset button.
Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast and welcome to a sprightly and alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. A button is described as a fastener that joins two pieces of fabric together by slipping through an opening or around a loop and only began being made in England sometime in the 1400s when garments, uh, garment closures transitioned from ties to buttons. But even the history of the humble button itself is surprising, well, to me at least, dating back to the Indus Valley Civilization. The earliest button in existence today dates from around 2000 BCE and is made from a curved shell. However, they weren't used as clothing closures, but as ornamental embellishments stitched onto clothing to signify wealth or status. Small holes were drilled into their surface so that they could be sewn onto clothing, but with a slight difference. These holes often formed geometric patterns rather than the straight lines we take for granted today. Now, I think that's a really interesting idea. Ornate wig covers from Egypt's 18th century, uh, 18th dynasty were fabricated by sewing buttons formed from precious metals onto strips of backing material. And leatherwork from the Roman Empire incorporated some of the first buttonholes used as a closure on satchels. Very important for very important Roman documents. But as time moved forward, the button was used more and more as a closure or fastener for general clothing. Even the ancient Romans began using them to fix clothing in place, replacing their ancient pins. It took centuries, however, for the button to evolve from an embellishment to the more practical item we know and use today. And it was the invention of the buttonhole that actually did the trick, turning the button into a fully functional item most of us now use on a daily basis. The all-important buttonhole was a middle-age invention that revolutionised clothing. A simple yet elegant design that allowed the button to pass through the fabric opening to be firmly anchored into place. Fashion would never be the same again. And I'm sure you'd not be surprised to learn that buttons were the preserve of the rich and famous until mass production and the Industrial Revolution came along and claimed the button as a staple of their own. 
The manufacture of dorset buttons peaked between 1622 and 1850. That's an awfully long time, really, for a small button. Unsurprisingly, they were overtaken by machine-made, factory-produced buttons from the developing industries of Birmingham and other growing English cities. But dorset buttons were popular. They were a craft-made button originating in the English county of Dorset, characterised by binding yarn over a disc or ring former. And this cottage industry affected the lives of hundreds of Dorset families for more than 200 years, with a man named Abraham Case, a Cotswold local, and his wife, who began the Dorset button industry, offering employment to numerous men, women and even children. An experienced buttoner could produce up to 72 buttons per day, earning an attractive wage while working from home and looking after family. These buttons became so popular that by the second half of the 18th century, Dorset buttons were exported all over the world, mostly through ports near Liverpool, sorted into coloured cards according to quality and the market they were to be sold to. For instance, pink was for the nobility and gentry, dark blue was for the middle class, yellow was for the lower class and black cards were for general sales within Britain. One of the resources of the Dorset area were the local Dorset horn sheep. It was an easy leap that buttons be uh, made from fabric, sheep's horn and thread, with a style called high tops being the first buttons made from a disc of sheep's horn on the base with a piece of linen pulled and twisted into a conical shape. This was then embroidered over with very fine tiny stitches. A later flatter version of these buttons, called dorset knobs, were made in a similar fashion. Interestingly though, in 1698, the government of the time passed an act to prevent making or selling buttons made of cloth, serge, drugget or other stuffs. And apparently this was to protect buttoners who worked in silk, mohair, gimp and thread buttons with a needle. In 1813, Benjamin Saunders made machine-made buttons from his workshop in London using dyes and pressure. Benjamin Ainworth developed and patented his button machine in 1832 and finally John Ashton produced a button machine in 1841 and in 1866 the resources, products and industrial history of Birmingham and Midland Hardware District described the process as follows. A button formed of a linen covering and a ring of metal, so put together that both sides and centre are completely covered with separate pieces of linen, and thus produced quite flat. This being an excessively neat and convenient button was, and is, largely patronised by housewives for all underclothing, having superseded the old thread button of Dorsetshire. 
the writing unfortunately was on the wall for the poor Dorset button. And Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, may have unwittingly contributed to the demise of the widespread Dorset buttony as one example of the latest technology in uh, the Great Exhibition of 1851 was John Ashton's button-making press. Decline of the Dorset button as an industry was gradual, replaced with the introduction of pearl, bone and cloth buttons, made more cheaply by machine. Buttoners, as they were called, were no longer needed and the skill of buttony was in threat. By the 1850s, many of these skilled artisans had to move to alternate occupations such as embroiderers and glovers, or they became economic migrants to Australia, Canada and the USA. The style of the machine-made button may have changed, flattening the shape and drilling four holes into the surface so that they could be quickly and securely stitched onto clothing. But Unique buttons are still being made today for traditional tailoring from unusual materials such as the Corozo button made from the nut of the Corozo tree. Each button is distinctive due to the different grain of each nut, just like our fingerprints. Each dorset button may comprise the following techniques. Castings, where the ring former is encased in blanket stitch to create a sleeve of yarn. Now that's clever. Slicking, where the initial stitches are worked from the outside of the ring. Originally stitches protruded outside the ring but are now turned on the ring to all be on the inside, leaving the outer edge smooth, producing a more functional button but with a slightly uh, protruding flange on the inside of the stitch work. Laying where crosswise strands are stitched radially across the button from side to side. These are either caught through the casting stitches or are simply wrapped over the outside of the ring. They can form a radial star or a hollow star. The number of strands varies uh, from pattern to pattern but they're usually arranged symmetrically around the ring. Rounding that weaves a spiral of yarn uh, over the crosswise laid strands emanating from the centre of the button. And apparently wheels are the most characteristic form of a dorset button, also known as dorset cartwheel, crosswheels, basket weave or yarrels, with other styles such as Blandfield, Mite, Singleton and Birdseye. It's a wee bit confusing, I have to say, but trust me, the results are simply beautiful. Dorset buttons are a heritage craft and, fortunately, the skill of buttony continues. The use of them on straw boaters for Morris dancers exemplifies that. And the technique of buttony is being picked up by artists generating a revival of interest in this wonderful craft. A laser-cut steel artwork by sculptor Bruce Williams was commissioned by the Lidl supermarket chain in 2022 that drew inspiration from several sources, featuring life-sized cattle composed of lace patterns and dorset buttons.
Think Dorset Buttons are old school? Think again. There's a four-page feature in a 2023 issue of Taunton's Threads magazine on making singleton buttons, and apparently they fall into the category of Dorset Buttons. They were apparently named after the Singleton family and are formed over a ring base covered with fabric instead of thread. But the button can still be embellished with embroidery and they're promoted on the cover of the magazine as couture buttons. Just Google Dorset buttons and loads of interesting and fun facts pop up. You can do an online workshop titled Multiple Style Dorset Button Workshop Self-Guided. There's even a website, Dorset Buttons at henrysbuttons.co.uk that also offers online courses. Dorset Buttons for beginners or those who want to refresh their skills. Dorset Buttons inspired by the snowdrop. Tudor Rose Dorset Button inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert. Spring Flower Dorset Button inspired by the Primrose. Dorset Button Tree Design and Dorset Button and Beads. Now if that's not enough to quench an interest in Dorset Buttons then I don't know what will. What's really interesting, though, is their gallery page showing textile art based around Dorset buttons. And the work is quite amazing. If you're at all into circles and radial design, then check them out. There's also a subpage under the gallery heading showcasing both contemporary and original Dorset buttons, which is rather interesting too. Plus, there's a shop page offering rings, booklets and kits, earrings and brooches and greeting cards featuring, you guessed it, Dorset buttons. Surprise, surprise, the website even features a six-minute video featuring artist Anna McDowell speaking about and showing her work with Dorset Buttons. My point in detailing all of this is to reinforce that the art and craft of Dorset Buttons is very much alive and well, and the work is truly stunning. If you're into garment making, then I could think of no better way to embellish or enhance that special garment than with your own original design worked onto a dorset button. But even to use them as a decorative feature on denim jackets, bags or hats, they just seem perfect for that sort of application. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on dorset buttons. I know I've learned a lot uh, that I simply did not know. As always, thank you so much for your time. I love having you here and you know by now that it is truly appreciated. Tell your friends to tune in and subscribe and let's welcome in 2024 with even more embroidery-based adventures. Stitch Safari's now reached over 19,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Wilp magazine, listed as one of the top shows about embroidery by Repod in 2022, recorded number three in the top five textile industry podcasts you must follow in 2023 by Feedspot and listed globally in the top 10% by Listen Notes. And I'm extremely grateful. 
Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast because there's just so much more to discover and it really is all fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. And yes, this is the year I start to work harder on this side of things. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.